Join us as we explore the exciting past of the grand state of Texas from the archives of the Texas Collection. Host Robert Darden talks with Texas history writers. You'll hear dramatic and often little-known Texas tales. This is Treasures of the Texas Collection. Hi, I'm your host, Robert Darden. On this episode of Treasures of the Texas Collection, we have with us Brad Owens, who teaches journalism at Baylor University. Now, Brad, I know you're a political junkie and have been covering politics and been around politics most of your life and that you were raised in rural Texas. So I expect that the subject of today's program strikes a lot of chords with you as well as with our listeners. I think so, Bob. I've spent a couple of weeks studying Jack Hightower, a former congressman, a state legislator, a state Supreme Court justice, and a Baylor trustee. Jack Hightower is what we call a straight era. He's about as old school as they come. He's a fascinating man, a guy we can learn a lot from. The Texas Collection and the Pogue Library, which is also on the Baylor campus, have this tremendous store of documents from Hightower's career, plus oral history interviews. The collection includes uh, Judge Hightower's collection of thousands of books and items of memorabilia related to Abraham Lincoln, Sam Houston, and a variety of figures in Americana and Texana. I think many of the figures who are prominent in Judge Hightower's collection have something in common with him. They represent the ideal of the humble, rural, self-made statesman, which is a very powerful archetype in American life. Okay, so who is Jack Hightower? Well, if you believe some of the most respected Texas political writers over the last 30, 40 years, Jack Hightower is Jimmy Stewart and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. That's how Art Weiss of the Houston Post described Hightower in the mid-1970s in a profile that came out in the Post just as Hightower started his first of five terms in Congress. Weiss wrote, and I'm quoting, anyone who ever watched Jimmy Stewart in that classic film of the 1930s remembers a freshman legislator burning with good intentions and civics class concepts like virtue, honesty, and decency in government. And that profile, Weiss describes a lawyer with a modest legal practice in Vernon, Texas, who had been a Baptist Sunday school teacher for 20 years, who didn't drink, smoke, or curse. And Hightower had just knocked off a four-term Republican incumbent, Bob Price, who had had Gerald Ford and Ronald Reagan out working for him on the campaign trail. Wow. The Jimmy Stewart thing is an easy metaphor we've heard it many times uh, used in political profile writing since the movie came out in 1939. But I think it holds up very well in this particular case. Man, that, that's really high praise indeed. Yeah, this is real life, not a, not a movie. It's not Frank Capra. Uh, a couple of years into Hightower's tenure in Congress, the legendary Texas monthly political writer Paul Burka profiled Hightower this way. Burka wrote, in his first term, he has come to symbolize a figure straight out of the solid and upright 19th century tradition, an American Gothic congressman. <laughs> Burka quoted one of Hightower's fellow congressmen, a liberal Democrat, who said, I guess one reason I like Jack so much is there's so damn few really decent people like that up here. A Capitol Hill journalist quoted in Burka's piece said, of Hightower, he still believes in the old myths and denies that they are myths. <laughs> That's a good line. Hightower came up in politics the old-fashioned way, right? 
Yes. Uh, Hightower graduated from Baylor Law in 1951, uh, just a couple of months after marrying his wife, Colleen, who was raised in the panhandle town of Tulia, just down the road from where Hightower grew up. Hightower was from Memphis, Texas. He set up a law practice after law school because Vernon was a little more promising place to hang a shingle. Uh, he served a term in the Texas House of Representatives in the mid-50s, was a district attorney in the 46th Judicial District, and then he served in the Texas Senate from 1964 all the way to 1975. While he was serving in the part-time Texas legislature for $10 a day for the first 100 <laughs> days of the session, he needed another source of income. That's a story for another day. Uh, sources of income in the Texas legislature. But uh, anyway, Hightower was a partner in a firm in Vernon while he was in the legislature in the 60s and 70s. Hightower was elected to Congress in the same year that President Nixon resigned from office because of Watergate. Hightower was one of a number of Democrats that year that unseated incumbent Republicans. While he was in Congress, Judge Hightower served on the House Agriculture Committee and the Select Committee on Hunger. He expressed concerns at the time about how disillusioned American voters were in the wake of Watergate in Vietnam. He was classified throughout those 10 years in Washington as one of the most conservative Democrats in Congress. Well, we wouldn't be here if he hadn't had a long, constructive career during that time, though. Absolutely. He spent 10 years in Washington before being defeated in 1984 by Bo Bolter. Now, that election, just like the one he came in on, had a strong national pattern. Bolter was one of a large crop of Republicans who came in elected on the coattails of Ronald Reagan's landslide re-election victory in 84. Now, Hightower never moved his three daughters to Washington. He steered clear of the cocktail party and reception and pecking order circuit in, in D.C. He once told Baylor Line, our alumni magazine, that Colleen's attitude about Washington and his own work there was supportive but far from starstruck, as he put it, she doesn't like my job, but she understands it. <laughs> Hightower lived in an efficiency apartment in Arlington, Virginia, slept on a sofa bed with his feet hanging off the end, voted his conscience. Democrats to the left, Repu Reagan Republicans to the right, had to admit that Jack Hightower was a scrupulously honest and almost maniacally hardworking <laughs> member of Congress. He had the appetite to do the work on the committees and all of the constituent service, social security checks, uh, veterans issues, stuff that people in the panhandle needed him to take care of. He represented 33 counties, and he took tremendous pride in his constituent service and personal attention to the people back in North Texas. You know, it, it must not have been easy being positioned at the right of his own party just as the Republican right was starting to rise. Absolutely. He, the bold weevil wing of the Democratic Party was a tough spot to be in, especially in that era. A lot of people say the current highly partisan, unpleasant climate in Congress dates back to those very years and to this exact schism you're talking about. Vietnam and then Watergate and the various social shocks the country had been through in the 60s. And then the Reagan Revolution. Well, from that point forward, national politics have become much more a culture war. Sure. And fundraising and campaigning more and more seem to require politicians to demonize their adversaries. The fundraising letters have to be mean or they mm -hmm. don't work. Sure. 
to me, that's a key element in Hightower's story, another point where he went against the grain. After he was turned out of Congress, he came home. It wasn't long before he got drawn back into state politics. In one of the oral history interviews in the Baylor collections, Hightower recalls a conversation he had with Jim Maddox, the Texas Attorney General at the time, and the upshot of that was that Hightower came to Austin and ran Maddox's office as first attend assistant AG. Okay, wait a minute. Back up. I think a lot of people would think of Jim Maddox and Jack Hightower as a very odd couple, Brad. Absolutely. Maddox was, his nickname was Mad Dog, and he worked hard to earn that title every day. He was a liberal Democrat, really by any standard, but, but certainly by Texas standards. And this was an era in Austin politics that was largely dominated by three people, all Democrats, and none of them caught, cut from soft cloth. Those three were Maddox, Lieutenant Governor Bob Bullock, who served as comptroller and then lieutenant governor, and then Ann Richards, who was treasurer and then, of course, governor. Maddox, Bullock, and Richards were about as hard-nosed and combative as anybody you'll ever see in political office. By Texas standard, they were all fairly liberal. Their styles would be described as bare-knuckle. And all were Baylor alumni. Well, that makes sense. From uh, what I've heard, though, Hightower's personal style and his, and his politics and such were, were really very quite different, though. Yeah, he was a complete contrast from those three. Uh, and a compliment to them, certainly in Maddox's office, because he found common ground and was able to work with them and have an influence on them. If I can say, I think he kind of liked that role. He liked their feistiness, and he liked being able to sort of ease them through certain places sure. that okay. their style wouldn't, wouldn't really work for. Years later, Hightower remembered the first conversation he had on the phone with Jim Maddox in this way. It makes me wish there was more of this kind of comedy in politics today. And Hightower told the story as the, like this. He said, Jim's approach was to say, Jack, you're more conservative than me. You have friends that won't even answer my phone calls. I really need you in my office. And Hightower recalled, I knew that was true, but I didn't know he knew it. So Hightower takes the job, and he and Maddox made a very good team. Jack later recalled, he said, Jim was a good campaigner, and to my surprise, he was a damn good attorney general. <laughs> Great stuff. Now, Hightower finished his political career on the bench, right? That is correct. He had been a prosecutor as a young man um, just as he was starting to uh, move into electoral politics. Uh, and then he serves an, as an administrator under Maddox in the state attorney general's office. Uh, then finally he becomes... Judge Hightower and served from 1987 to 1994 on the Texas Supreme Court. One offshoot of his tenure on the Supreme Court was that Hightower took an interest in a large but at that time completely disorganized trove of historical artifacts that belonged to the state Supreme Court. It was Hightower who helped organize the Texas Supreme Court Historical Society to catalog all that material, and he was the founding president of that historical society. Now, President Clinton ap appointed Judge Hightower to the National Commission on Libraries and Information Science, and he served as commissioner on that board from 1999 to 2005, reported to Congress on the needs of the country's libraries. Bob, Judge Hightower has said that law is history, that the two are really one in his mind. And this fascina fascination with history is the other side of Judge Hightower's public career that I think is worth a look. 
It's a way of life, not just an interest in history, but a respect for history and its lessons. That has been part of Mr. Hightower's life from the very beginning. Great. Let's hear a few words from Hightower himself. This is from an oral history interview he did back in 2008. I suppose I've been called a bibliophile. I've been called a bibliomaniac. But uh, either way, it's just a reflection of my love for books. I can't remember when I didn't want books. And uh, I, I remember writing Santa Claus and asking for books. So uh, I, I have a collection that's uh, a collection of a lifetime. Judge Hightower has donated more than 2,700 autographed books, including some signed by presidents from John Quincy Adams to George W. Bush. Uh, the collection here at Baylor also includes original copies of state legislation from the 1800s. He remembers finding the first autographed book in his collection looking in a shop in Austin in 1953 during his first term in the state legislature. It was signed by E.M. Peace, that's with an S, as in Peace Park in Austin, who was governor of Texas before and after the Civil War. This is the oldest book I have in my collection. 1647, readings of the famous lawyer Sir Robert Brooke, 1647. But it's signed by Roger Brooks Tawney, who was the chief justice that wrote the Dred Scott decision. In 1860, he died in 1864. And, of course, Lincoln was president at the time. This, he was succeeded by Samuel Palmer Chase, who was Lincoln's secretary of treasury. Who, then Lincoln put him on the chief justice of the Supreme Court. And here's Samuel P. Chase, History of the Federal Government. It is the books and memorabilia related to American history, and especially to Abraham Lincoln, that are closest to Hightower's heart. I guess what really got turned me on on history was the fact that Daddy would tell stories that of his father, who was in this, who was a Confederate soldier, and uh, he he would tell those stories. Well. That also was made me interested in Lincoln. Of course, Lincoln was was an anathema to Confederates, but uh, but I was interested in the whole thing because uh, well, I've just been fascinated by it. I have a, a picture uh, here in my office. It's uh, signed by my third grade teacher, who who says I was her favorite history student. So Hightower got started really, really early in life then. Yes. He vividly remembers the presidential campaign of 1932 when he was just six years old. His parents owned a flower shop in Memphis, Texas, and they were great admirers of Franklin D. Roosevelt and the New Deal. Money was tight, but Hightower's parents found ways to feed his imagination with books. And he had an elementary school teacher, as he mentioned, who encouraged his interest in history and politics. Jack Hightower remembers riding the train from the Panhandle down to Dallas in 1936 with his father, 
going to see the Texas Centennial Exposition. And he connects the dots from that day to this, immersing himself in American history and even playing a little part in it himself. He said to, uh, in an interview with the Waco Tribune Herald a couple years ago, I have been bitten by the history bug as long as I can remember. I remember my father taking me to meet a Confederate War veteran in Memphis, Texas. I asked the man if he had ever seen Lincoln, and he said, no, if I had, I would have shot him. <laughs> so let's recap. Even during the Great Depression, without the technology our kids have access to today, this young man was able to see the world and the past and imagine the future through books and the stories he heard from his family. Hightower remembers listening to W. Lee Papio Daniel and the Light Crust Doughboys on WBAP radio. President Roosevelt made enough of an impression on him, mostly on the radio, that little Jack Hightower started wanting to be president of the United States. Many years later, he was able to trace his genealogy, and he discovered that one of his great-great-great-grandfathers, Richard Stanford, had been a member of Congress from North Carolina in the late 1700s and early 1800s, and that Stanford's father had served in the American Revolution as a soldier in the North Carolina Volunteers. Now, that's pretty cool. Now, I know Jack Hightower eventually served on the Board of Trustees at Baylor, but I understand that he was poking around around Baylor's history long before that, right? Yes, indeed. Hightower, his wife, and his three daughters all graduated from Baylor, and his time on the Board of Regents spanned the presidential transition here from Judge Abner McCall, who was a close friend of his, to Herbert Reynolds. Hightower served as a Baylor trustee from 1972 to 81, and has also served on the board of Wayland Baptist University and Midwestern State University, as well as on the board of the Baptist Standard newspaper, and he's held very, uh, various high positions with Masonic institutions in Texas. One of the items in the Texas Collection archives that I especially enjoyed reading was something called These 40 Acres, Hightower's History of the Baylor Campus, written for an undergraduate course in the late 40s. It's well-written, and it tells the story not only of some landmarks that are long disappeared, but of a way of life that is also long gone. Hightower graduated from, from Baylor in 1949 after a two-year hitch in the Navy at the very end of World War II. He didn't see action. He tells a little story about being stationed in San Francisco and sneaking over, going AWOL for a few hours, to attend the formation of the United Nations. Hightower had gotten in one summer of college before he went off to the Navy. When he returned to Baylor, he actually worked in the Texas Collection for several years and was a protege of the legendary historian and librarian and personality, Guy B. Harrison. Guy B. Now, at the turn of the 19th century, Baylor really wasn't all that impressive if the photos are true. Yeah, and he, uh, Hightower, in doing his archive research as an undergraduate, he recounted that in those days, all Baylor amounted to was a pair of rundown buildings located near the site of the Carroll Library, now the home of the Texas Collection, of course. The real estate we walk on today was covered with Russian thistles and sand burrs. There were no telephones. The buildings were heated with wood and cold stoves, and the facilities were out back. Mm. Today, we wouldn't recognize the campus he wrote about or even the campus he studied on in the 40s. The undergraduate historian Jack Hightower wrote, An ancient oak on these grounds, this would be on the old Spate homestead at 5th Street and Spate. 
he writes, was, according to legend, supposed to mark the burial spot of an Indian princess. He traced the construction of the campus. He recounted the rules protecting the propriety of Baylor women living in the dormitories. There was a tree swing on one of these huge oaks in what is now the quadrangle area in the middle of campus. He writes, it was positively against the rules for a boy to be seen between 5th Street and the fence. When going past the dormitory, the boy must walk right along the side of the street and keep moving. Hmm. Now that sounds like a different universe. You've also told me in the past about a, a fish pond, of all things, that was even installed in front of Burleson Hall in 1915. For academic purposes. Of course. Hightower wrote, the pond was designed to hold botanical specimens, but was often host to various students who were tossed in by their classmates. Among those dunked in the fish pond, he wrote, was a certain, quote, dignified librarian, unquote. I think that would be Guy B. Sure. Hightower dug through various unpublished papers and theses, and he interviewed Lily Russell, director of public relations at Baylor in 1947. They talked about their version of Baylor 2010, the <laughs> ambitious master plan for construction at Baylor. The plan, which was just on paper at that time, included 19 new buildings, including the Armstrong Browning Library, Tidwell Bible Building, Mars McLean Gymnasium, and the four women's dormitories over on that side of campus. The Student Union Building was to be the four first air-conditioned structure on the campus. It had been started in 1939, but work stopped because construction materials and labor were not available during the war. The sub was finished in 1947. Now, Brad, I take it that the post-war period, when Hightower and so many other veterans came back to school, was a time of seriously rapid growth at Baylor. Yeah, I think that was the third major phase of expansion. He wrote about the first two in, his, uh, in these 40 acres. A fourth happened in the 1960s to support the children of those war, war veterans, the baby boomers. And, of course, a fifth huge phase of construction is just kind of beginning to wrap up. Uh, it's been going on over the last 10, 15 years. In these 40 acres, Hightower details a controversy, at least in some people's eyes, regarding a proposal in the 1920s to move Baylor to Dallas. In telling that story, Hightower uncovered a minority opinion regarding the value of keeping Baylor in Waco. He quotes William Cowper Brand, editor of the Iconoclast and mortal enemy of everything to do with Baylor. Brand offered to personally give Baylor $1,000 at any time to move to Dallas, quote, and double that amount if it will move to Honolulu or hell. <laughs> a great line. Baylor didn't wind up in either of those places or in Dallas. Other citizens of Waco fought to keep the university, fought Brand, and fought financially to keep the university, and Waco Hall, completed in 1930, is their legacy. Hightower's study of the Baylor campus was part of his lifelong interest in architecture. He was a key figure in a renovation of the Texas Capitol in the mid-1960s. Now, finally, I suppose Judge Hightower's other passion, which I guess is pretty much required of someone with his pedigree here in Texas, is football. Yes. As an undergraduate, he won a lottery for the first ticket to attend a game in what is now Floyd Casey Stadium. After winning election to Congress in 1974, his duties as congressman-elect, the seminars and training and things, required him to give away his tickets to the Baylor-Texas game the Saturday after Election Day. That game was the miracle on the Brazos game. When Baylor trailed 
the Longhorns 24 to seven at halftime, came back and won 34-24. He never got over missing that game. <laughs> that was the year Coach Grant Taff and quarterback Neil Jeffrey led Baylor to its first Southwest Conference title since 1924. Hightower missed the Texas game, but just before leaving for Washington, he got to attend the 75 Cotton Bowl game between Baylor and Penn State. He told a reporter at the time, this is a must. I might not be able to make it next time in 50 years. <laughs> One other note on Texas national sport. Jack Hightower's grandson is a community-minded, sharp-eyed, cerebral ball player who distinguished himself with the Westlake High School Chaparrales and later the Purdue Boilermakers and the San Diego Chargers and a couple years ago won a Super Bowl in New Orleans. Quarterback Drew, Drew Brees. Any fan of the Baylor Bears or the New Orleans Saints has to be a patient man. Brad, now that you've studied his life so intensely, what do you believe are some of Jack Hightower's greatest virtues? I think they're really worth looking at. I look at Hightower's career and I think of the value of symbol and myth. When he was still in grade school, Hightower developed his fascination with Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln, of course, made the fence rail and the axe into enduring symbols in his own political career. Years later, Hightower chose the windmill as his own symbol to put on his campaign literature. And what that windmill signifies, to me at least, is that the well runs deep. If you love history, if you study, if you go to the old timers, ask questions, you come to know who you are, who your people are, where you've been, what you stand for. I think a leader, a politician, or church or institutional leader very much benefits from having a deep well to draw on. I think we need more public people who appreciate and know their history, its complexity, its nuances. True stories aren't easy. Real people, especially people who rise to become great leaders and have history written about them, are complicated. And does anything specifically in Jack Hightower's personal history stand out to you? couple of things. Humility, work ethic learned in his parents' flower shop and from the farm and ranch environment he was in. The desire to draw people together and build consensus, which he learned in churches and school and civic work, honed in the legislature and in courtrooms. Fairness. I think a love for competition, for example, in sports and in politics, gives a person an appreciation for fair play, even if the contests aren't always waged fairly. Finally, curiosity. Somebody said one time that the only new thing in the world is the history we don't know. <laughs> Brad, thanks for looking at Jack Hightower with us and sharing with the stories of this remarkable man. Thanks so much for having me. Makes me wish I'd known him. This has been Treasures of the Texas Collection. I'm Robert Darden, Associate Professor of Journalism at Baylor. For more information on Jack Hightower or just about anything related to Texas, diaries, maps, books, letters, photographs, the Texas Collection on the Baylor University campus has one of the largest collections of Texana in the country. For additional information, visit www.baylor.edu slash lib, L-I-B, slash Texas. Treasures of the Texas Collection has been made possible by generous grants from the Wardlaw Fellowship Fund for Texas Studies and the Guy B. Harrison Jr. Endowment Fund. This has been a production of KWBU-FM 103.3. Public Radio for Central Texas.